Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. everybody and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host Keely Orr, joined by Chris Trevino. And if you don't recognize that man over there, he wore a neon shirt just so you can like call the attention back onto him because he's back. Shotgun Spratling is back and on the show. We're glad to have him back. We're a little bit delirious just because we haven't seen each other in three weeks. It's a family feud reunion. But we have a lot to talk about. We're going to preview USC's Saturday matchup against Stanford in the Coliseum. We'll get Shotgun's thoughts on USC's game against San Jose State. He did a full breakdown, formation breakdown, and I'm sure he has a lot of thoughts just because he's shotgun, so we'll get into that. I'll also give some injury updates on what we saw in practice today. Chris and I uh, were at both uh, practices today, so we'll, or excuse me, this week, so we'll get into that. As always, you can tweet us, hashtag TunnelVision. I'll put your tweet up on the screen. We're kind of going old school for this uh, episode. We're not doing calls and we're not doing questions on the screen. But wherever you are watching, Periscope, YouTube, or Facebook, I'll put your comments, questions, or concerns in there. We'll be sure to answer them. We're, we're looking at your questions. We just don't have the capability to put them up today. So, guys, like I said, a lot to talk about today. Shotgun, first off, welcome back. We're glad to have you back. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> I know I, fi- I figured Keely would put it like an embargo or you know slash my tires or something while I was allowed to leave wow. my apartment. That so. was intense. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we're glad to have you back, Shotgun Chris. I'm sure you're you're glad as well. You're a fellow I'm, helium boy. I'm trying to keep it all in, you know. I just don't want. <laughs> I, I promised myself that I wouldn't cry on the first like half of the show. So okay. after the 30 minute mark. All bets, hats off. Off. All bets are off. All bets are off. All bets are off. Well, like I said, I haven't actually talked to Shotgun about the San Jose State game, and I really want to pick his brain. So we're going to do it live on the show. <laughs> Shotgun, I know you do your formation breakdown for each game. And one thing that you always break down is the usage of personnel, tight ends, etc. I noticed a lot of tight end usage this game. What did you take away from just overall formations that we saw on Saturday? So many tight ends. Yes. The tight end bonanza. bonanza. I mean, it's like... Chris had been doing some insider trading. As someone who owns a hefty amount of tight end <laughs> stock, this was an interesting game for me to watch. Yeah, so a, a ton of tight end usage there. Jude Wolf and Eric Cromanhook both played around 50 snaps each. And then you also saw Malcolm Epps get in. He played, I think, 18 snaps on offense. And then Michael Trigg getting a, a few snaps. And Michael Trigg was actually the – when he was in, USC's offense was at its best by yards per play. You know, they averaged over 10 yards, the touchdown with Eric Cromanhook. Um, you know, they, they picked up a third down with him in. They picked up 10 yards on a third and long with Keaton, Keaton scrambling. So you, 
you know, he's a guy that you want to see and see how his presence continues to develop. But just seeing how much they use those tight ends and use them in different ways. So they split out two tight ends. They didn't just, you know, it wasn't a true, you know, it's called uh, 12 personnel, which is one running back and two tight ends, which is a traditional high formation, you know, run downhill running type of, of look. That wasn't how USC used it a lot. They actually split out both the tight ends a lot of the times, which is, is something they'd never done. You know, I went back through and, you know, I could easily pull up the last four years of, of formation. So I went back through the last four years. USC had done it once, one snap in the last four years. So that's two years with uh, Graham Harrell and two years with T. Martin. And that one snap was a fourth and goal with a bunch of backups in in a blowout at Arizona State. So and they were on like the 12 yard line. They ran the ball. So something they've never done, basically. Um, and especially under Graham Harrell, they barely have done two tight ends under Graham Harrell. So I thought it was really interesting how much they really went in on using the tight ends. Now, part of the reason, and Clay Helton explained it this morning in his presser, that you know they wanted to do that to help keep the San Jose State defense vanilla with their blitz packages and stuff. They wanted to split out their linebackers, split out the you know the defenders that were going to guard those tight ends and keep them from being able to bring extra pressures in different ways, which he said that really worked. So I thought it was just really interesting how they tried to do that and the fact that they felt that they had success with it. And now they ran the ball really well when they split out both the tight ends. They ran for over almost eight yards a carry uh, in the 10 carries that they had in that type of situation, but just a ton of two tight end usage, almost 50 snaps, uh, or maybe I think it was 51 snaps actually with two tight ends on the field. So a ton of that. And the most interesting part of that to me was the you know reverse of that is that you only use four wide receivers. Which I yeah. thought was, you know, really strange to me. Uh, it's something that we've talked about, uh, you know, for the last couple of years. Oh, this, the air raid—they're going to come in. They're going to rotate receivers. Graham Harrell, when he first came in, said, "Hey, I want ten to twelve guys. I want to be able to rotate these guys in, keep them fresh." And then he goes, "Well, I got Michael Pittman. He's never going to come off the field." And then it's like, "Oh, well, Tyler Vaughn's and Amon Ross St. Brown are." We said, okay, well, Drake London may stay on the field, but they'll rotate the other guys, right? Well, they want to see what they got in those guys. No, Taj Washington actually played more snaps than anyone on the offense as far as the skill players. Um, so, you know, Drake London had come out a couple times from getting twisted up. San Jose State looked pretty dirty in some of those. I don't know how yeah. it looked on the sidelines no, to you guys. they looked dirty on the sideline as well. <laughs> yeah, especially with Drake London. They were really trying to get under his skin. Um, but I thought that they would rotate more. I thought we would see some John Jackson the third. I thought we would see some Michael Jackson the third. Um, you know, get those thirds in there. You know, they used the fourth. You know, they had Joseph Manjack the fourth out there, but he only played in the first half. So, you know, it just – and then they went pretty much exclusively with those two tight ends in the second half. So just not a lot of rotation there when it seems like there were opportunities for it. And, you know, especially if you're running the ball, get those young guys, get those inexperienced guys, some opportunities in there. And Kyle Ford not playing at all was really shocking to me. Yeah, I actually talked to Kyle Ford uh, this week about it, and I was like, are you healthy? I thought that might have been a reason why. And he said, no, I'm completely healthy, and I, as a competitor, expected to play on Saturday. So it's really interesting to me considering that we did see more rotation in practices and scrimmages of just wide receivers getting in and getting reps, and we didn't see that. I mean, Shotgun, do you have a reason off the top of your head why that would happen? No, I mean, it was really strange to me that they didn't do it. Now, using the two tight ends, that's something they did a lot in the spring. They did that some in the fall, and part of that was, well, they just didn't have the wide receiver bodies, and so you wanted to get those tight ends some extra reps rather than you know getting wide receiver you know walk-ons out there instead. So I... Maybe they just felt comfortable with that, and that's why he saw more two tight ends. And, you know, those guys have probably shown themselves. And the fact that Malcolm Epps, you know, coming back and basically barely at practice, yeah. was able to jump into the in, into the mix and jump ahead of Michael Trigg, 
told you what they think of him to me, that he's going to be a weapon for them. Um, he got open on that one play where Keaton Slovis made a dude look silly um, in, in the backfield and then threw a strike, which I thought showed the arm strength of Keaton Slovis as well. When he wanted to dial it up, it was there, and that was a good sign as well. Um, so uh, there was a lot of things to take away from the tight end usage, but the wide receivers not being rotated when they still could have been. You know, there's no reason why they couldn't have taken Drake London out for a few snaps or taken Taj Washington out for a few snaps. Now, getting Gary Bryant Jr. back this week, that'll definitely play into. Yeah. And Clay talked about they'll, use, they'll have more personnel groupings that they can use. It's like that you could use those same groupings with the group he had last week. You know, just adding him in doesn't change anything. I don't think there's any really specific Gary Bryant Jr. This is a personnel grouping. These people have to be around him for him to be on the field. So that seemed a little bit strange the way he said that. Now, I think they'll do some different things with him in the lineup. You know, you'll see him try to get the ball in his hands with screen passes and different things. Um, but it, it just, I felt like there was an opportunity there. And maybe it was because the game was close. Maybe it was because whatever it was, you know, but they just didn't do it. I mean, in that sense, I was going to ask. Was that partially because you're heading into the fourth quarter and it's 13 to, to 7? Or is it because you can't trust your younger wide receivers? Like, ideally, you would want to have a, a big enough lead where you can get those guys' feet wet and not have it feel like it's a critical situation, right? I mean, Stephen Carr got in against Western Michigan and he had a big touchdown run in the fourth quarter. He's a younger guy. That was his freshman year. Um, you know, I think you still had you had Ronald Jones, you had Oxidric Ware, and I think you maybe you still had Justin Davis. Can't remember the, the timing there, but you had at least two older guys, and they still felt that they need the need to get him in the game. So I don't feel like you can just look at it and say, "Well, it's close, so we can't get any young guys in there." You know, we don't trust them enough to do anything. Um, you know, and I think that's one of the issues with the offense and finding that rhythm. Rhythm is the big thing that everyone yeah. was talking about Saturday, and yeah, that was definitely you could feel it. Part of it is a little bit of the play calling. But it's still Keaton Slovis being comfortable with all those other receivers. And I feel like you got to give him some reps in a game for that to happen as well. And maybe they just felt like the rhythm wasn't there, so we don't want to put anybody else in. Let's let, try to get him in a rhythm with Taj and, and, and with Drake London. And I, I don't know. It just, it just seemed weird to me not to use other weapons that they have, even if it's just to, hey, if we take Taj Washington out a couple plays and run whoever we put in. It could be a walk-on. Just have them run deep. Okay, that's going to tire the DB out a little bit. Now let's put Taj Washington and have him run the same route. Let's see what the DB can do then. Um, you know, I don't think he's keeping up with Taj Washington. So I just think there's way, ways they could use their weapons a little bit differently that they didn't show in this first game. And again, we should always remember, and everyone that was very upset about any particular thing in that first game with anything that the offense didn't do, is that it's the first game, yeah. and they're not going to show everything. Yeah. There's things we've seen them practice during fall camp, during spring camp, that they did not use in this. And someone asked me that question on the P today. It was like, do you think they'll do some some different thing? I'm like, yeah. They're, they're not going to show everything in that first game, especially against an opponent like San Jose State, which is being very downplayed. San Jose State is a quality team. Yeah. Um, I, I came away impressed with some of their players. They didn't get any sacks. They didn't, they didn't get any tackles for loss. I thought that was because Nick Starkle did a really good job of being like, Oh crap, there's Tuli Tuipiloto coming. Oh crap, there's Corey Foreman. There's Drake Jackson. Those guys are coming quickly. I got to get rid of the ball. That's what played into the interception to um, to Greg Johnson. Tuli Tuipiloto beat his guy, and he was you know coming in the backfield. Quick throw, quick decision, and it was a little bit different coverage from USC, and he didn't see him. So I thought Starkle did a good job of getting rid of the ball because he's a six-year guy that's played in the SEC, that started in the SEC. 
So you didn't get to him because of that. But you could see the inaccuracy as the coaching staff actually said. You know, a lot of times we want to trash on everything the coaches say and like, oh, that's not it. But it did really feel that way. The pass rush had an effect, even if it didn't get there for the sacks and the tackles for loss. Mm-hmm. Well, now that you mentioned it, let's talk about USC's defensive performance. Shaka, what did you make of that? I mean, uh, Isaiah Polamau does not start, is out due to health and safety pr- protocols. Kalen Bullock, who we knew that the coaches were high on in fall camp, makes his freshman Trojan debut. What did you make of that? I mean, I just wanted to be sitting beside Sua during it because <laughs> Sua has been very high on Kalen Bullock from seeing him in practice and then listening to him on uh, Tunnel Vision last week. Uh, just talking about, you can tell that he really sees him as a playmaker. So when he made some of those plays, I wanted to be beside Sua to see, like, that's, I, I knew that's what I saw, knew was going to come. Uh, but yeah, he made a ton of plays, great tackle, tackling out in space, which is something that is usually one of the last things to come around for freshmen. You yeah. know, that can be something where you can make a lot of plays and you can be in the right place even, and sometimes you, you're missing the tackle. You know, just bigger, stronger guys that you're trying to tackle. But he was great. He had the best tackling grade on uh, USC's defense um, by the the uh, pro football focus grades and stuff. So I, I thought he was fantastic in the game. He didn't make the top six on USC's defensive um, PFF grades. And somebody was like, well, how could that be? It was because the defense as a whole, there were so many people that played well. And one, you get more guys in at the end of the game. They have a chance to actually, you know, can jump in. Um, but USC had 12 guys finish over a 70 grade. So everyone in PFF grades, for anyone that doesn't know, they're not gospel. You know, there's something to look at and to take into effect. But they're they're interesting to to compare from the past. I think that's one of the, the best uses for an individual. Hey, are they doing better with their grades now? And as a, as a collective, USC had 12 guys over a 70 grade. Everyone starts at a 60 just to begin with, and then you go up or down from there. Each play, they grade. That's how they they go about their system. USC had 12 over 70. It's the first time they've had that since 2015 that they've had. They've only had one other game with double digits, and it's the first time they've had that many since the Arkansas State opener in 2015 when Steve Sarkeesian, when Osamacena actually was the highest-rated guy when he had a fumble return for a touchdown. So I thought the defense, there were a ton of guys that played really well there, and they played really well as a collective. Um, you know, Chase Williams didn't have a very good game, but even then, he's a guy that was stepping in and, and filling more of a leadership role and yeah. playing more of a back end role because Isaiah Pullamal wasn't in there. And I thought he made some nice plays out there as well. But Kalen Bullock was a star. Corey Foreman showed what he can do as a pass rusher, even though he didn't get there. He got there for a hit at least once on Starkle. Showed some glimpses. He didn't play a lot. Drake Jackson didn't play a lot. But there are a lot of things you look at and you go, hmm, that could be very intriguing. Uh, and, and showed a lot of things that that leave you thinking this defense can continue to progress as a, as a season goes on. Yeah. Now, Chris, I did say you might not have to speak in tunnel vision today. Because... I was trying to see how long I could go without saying a word. Yeah, it was close. I mean, he, the man is back. We don't even have to speak. I, I called you. it. I miss you. That's all I got to say. I missed you. Chris, just, just let Shotgun cook. Why am I here? Just I feel like, you know, when they bring like those special restaurants where you can watch, they bring customers in the back and just let them watch them cook. No. That's what I feel like. I'm just here <laughs> up, up close watching this. I don't need to talk. Okay. Let me just enjoy the view. Let me just enjoy the experience of him like looking me in the the eyes when he makes a really good point. Just, just, <laughs> just let that happen. Now, Chris, you were in Todd Orlando's scrum yesterday, and he was asked specifically about the sack numbers, which were zero against San Jose State. But overall, he felt like the team got good pressure, and Shotgun just alluded to that as well. What did he have to say on Wednesday? You have no source that I was in that uh, Todd Orlando scrum, <laughs> I but do. I will confirm that I was. But he said, yeah, you know, people like to... Uh, overvalue i don't think that was exact word but i think that's the point he was making that people tend to maybe overvalue 
the statistic that is a sack, but he he was very happy with the pressure that uh, his guys uh, generated on Nick Starkle, and he, he was very happy that they were coming at it from a technical point. You know, they were using different hand movements. They were using different pass rushing moves. They weren't just running into alignment and just hoping they would uh, get a lucky break and get to the quarterback. So that's something, obviously, that's going to develop throughout the throughout the season, you know, those, those moves. And you, you like to see that they're, uh, you know, using these these different uh, – uh, moves in their in their toolboxes because uh, that's going to generate more sacks. But I I also countered that you know sacks are fun. Everyone loves a good sack. It's true. It's very true. As senior sack, <laughs> I'm all about the sacks. Yes, you're making Family Feud references on different mediums, and I think it's confusing some people. It's my it's my secret plot to make this a live Family Feud, which you <laughs> he, he shot asked. down. He yeah, tried. we we both asked. Yeah, and that's she said true. no. So yeah, it's tunnel vision, guys. We can't confuse the brands. But yes, I know because on instant yesterday, you said as a, as someone who made a lot of sacks, and I think people were confused in the comments. Like this guy made a lot of sacks, but it's your bitch. Sack like, lunches. Sack lunch. He's actually. Yeah. Oh, got it. Got it. Okay. He's a big packer. Team of mom. Team mom. <laughs> Team mom. Yes. Now shotgun overall from the game Chris and I kind of the main takeaway we had was we weren't too surprised based on what we were seeing in spring and especially fall camp it's we knew that the defense could set the tone and be more of a collective unit and the offense had some issues with finding who's going to be the the two third fourth receiver outside of Drake London do you agree with that overall assessment from what we saw on Saturday yeah unfortunately there were a lot of things that it felt like that's kind of what you expected, and that's kind of what it's been in the past. And that was one of the things we didn't really see anyone emerge there. Interesting that that Joseph Manjack in the lead up was named a starter at one of those positions. I think there was like fourteen starting positions, which I don't know if you guys know, but you can only put eleven on the field at the same time. Oh, really? Um, but the depth chart that USC released at, at thirteen or fourteen. Um, but he was named to one of those, and he was the first wide receiver, basically in the guy that played the most outside of Drake London and Taj Washington. You know, Washington is the guy that I'd pegged in the summer as a guy that I thought could be a really interesting player for USC. And to see him get all those reps, that, that kind of tells you that USC sees that as well. You saw his ability to go up and get the ball. And that's not necessarily something we'd seen a lot of in fall camp um, is him going up and making a contested catch like that. It's a really nice play on, on the touchdown there. But also the quick outs and stuff where he then makes the first guy miss and picks up some extra yardage. Um, and, but I, I thought that that was one of the things that – we were kind of wondering, would that be settled? And it didn't feel like it was going to be. But also, it felt very similar to Fresno State, to Western Michigan, to UNLV. First game of the season, non-conference game, USC has gone to the fourth quarter. The Fresno State, or was it, yeah, the Fresno State game, they actually pushed ahead in the, in the third quarter. The rest of them, they were basically within a score going into the fourth quarter. And the Fresno State game, Fresno State came back in the fourth quarter. Um, to be fair, they lost their starter. But they went, they went up 31-13 in the third quarter and then gave up two consecutive touchdowns to make it a close game there. Fair counterpoint. Um, so that it just felt like more of the same. And that's, that is a concern because are you going to continue to progress? And we've seen the defense. I think we're seeing them make strides from where they were last year. Just the fact that how many guys graded out well when last year, like Kalen Bullock was like, I don't know, like ninth overall. His grade would have been second best last year in the opener. His, his grade would have been second best in two of the six games last year, and he would have been in the top six every single game. Um, so I think that you're seeing multiple players did step up and played pretty well there. Uh, but I think that there are still con some concerns about where the progression of the defense we're seeing, where is the progression of the offense? Is it going to come? And you know, we're, we saw some different things in this game with the two tight ends. Are we going to see the offense continue to progress and that run game continue to be able to attack and find some holes? Because – 
There were some nice explosive runs. There were also, what, five or six tackles for losses for, for San Jose State on run plays for USC. So that's not very good for USC. That's what they really need to cut out from the run game and stop forcing themselves to be in a second and 14 type of situation. Mm-hmm. This was also the debut of Clay McGuire and his starting five. What did you think of how the offensive line played? I believe Liam Jimmins had the highest pro football f- focus offensive line grade for a USC offensive lineman ever. Wow. Ever? Ever. Now, they haven't been doing it for, I think, five or six years, but five or six years. And that tells you what has happened the last five or six years with that offensive line that has been an issue. And his grade was, I think, 89.7 or something, which is a terrific grade. It's NFL not, right on the uh, Right on the edge of NFL level. But th- that's the highest one in five or six years. It's also telling for you there. But he had his highest grade ever. I think Andrew Voorhees, Brett Nealon, both of them had their highest grades ever. Justin Dietrich had his highest grade ever. That tells me, and now it's one game, and we'll see where they go from this week, and if they continue, if their grades this week and next week are both, you know, if you know three of those four or five guys still have their highest grade, aren't dipping down to where they were in the past, that tells you the offensive line is getting better. Yeah. And so I saw some quality things in the offensive line. Um, you know, the sack, the, the big hit that Keaton Slovis took that wasn't a sack, that was on Keontae Ingram. One of the sacks was on Keontae Ingram as far as not coming across as a blocker, but that's not on the offensive line. I thought it was really interesting, the comment of Clay McGuire, that, that Brett Nealon got talked into some bad calls. Yeah. And I wish there would have been a follow-up there is exactly what he meant by that, but I'm guessing that means someone made a call from the outside and Brett Nealon went with it instead yeah, of it, you know, instead of calling maybe it was the defensive lineman. Hey, you should make this call. Hey, hey, don't block me. Don't, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. But there weren't a ton of just complete busts, and that was, a, that was a positive thing to note. And partially, I think that you give credit to Graham Harrell and the offensive play calling of spreading everybody out, keeping them vanilla. Um, so we'll see where they can do against Stanford because Stanford's going to bring a lot of different looks. Remember a couple years ago when JT Daniels as a freshman went to Stanford and got beat up over and over, and that yeah. was almost all because of the offensive line. Just They just n- did not communicate well there, so I, I'm going to say that the offensive line will be put to a litmus test against Stanford and the different looks that Stanford can give. Not necessarily that the Stanford has – you know, the the Solomon Thomases and guys on their defensive line that can be just, you know, wreckers that they've had in the past, but they can give a lot of different confusing looks to a to an offensive line. So I'm curious to see how the communication goes there with the offensive line. Do you think it will help that they have simplified communicating before the yeah, pre snap? Of course that'll help. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to see how the rotation continues to work. Uh, Jalen McKenzie got in for one drive. Justin DJ's got in for three drives, and the starters had the other eight. So, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how they continue. He's, you know, McGuire this week said that Justin Dietrich should be considered a starter. You know, and if they can rotate guys in and get them three drives in a game, I think you feel confident in saying that guy's a part of the rotation and being the sixth man. Um, will they add Jalen McKenzie into that mix that much? I don't know. We'll see See as it continues to progress. But I did want to give a shout-out to Liam Jimmins. I thought he played really well in the game even before the, the grading come out. But, you know, the top grade, and again, how much you want to – be, uh, believe in PFF's yeah. grades yeah. is up to you, but the fact if you want to compare it to what has been the last five or six years, that was a, a strong uh, performance in the oh. opener. Mm-hmm. Interesting because USC has had two first-round linemen taken, <laughs> and you're saying he has the highest one last five yep. or ever. So that's... And it's just a single game, and yeah. hey, yeah. maybe the, the guy he was going up against all day is – you know, a former walk. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, they do have some good quality defense alignment on the edge there at San Jose State. 
Um, and they gave a little bit of trouble to Monheim and Ford at times. Monheim was really good in the run or, or better in the run and Ford was better in the past. So we'll see if those guys can continue to, to you know, to, to bring up the other areas of their game, but they're going to be tested and they'll probably give up some big plays, you know, give up a sack or two here, but you know, first game and against those two guys in particular going up against quality defensive ends, Kate Hall was an all American last year yeah. at, at San Jose state. I thought they did a pretty good job. Yeah. Well, you did into it already, Shaka, but let's turn our focus to Stanford. What are you expecting from the Stanford team? It's clearly not the Stanford of old. Uh, they did not look their best against Kansas State last weekend. Uh, but we've seen a Stanford team kind of drop the opener and then bounce back against USC the next week. What are you expecting on Saturday? I'm, I'm curious about this Stanford team because yeah. I didn't watch a ton of that game against Kansas State. Every time I flipped over... You know, it just didn't look very good. Now, I remember a few years back, maybe four or five years, they played at Northwestern, and it was a very early game. This yeah. is similar. It was a very yeah. early game. They didn't look good against Northwestern. They came back, and they looked a little bit better as they continued to progress. Now they put Tanner McKee in the starting lineup. I think that's going to help them. He had pretty good numbers um, when he came in, in in reserve with Jack West. So I think he can take over that role with a solid game today. So he, or on Saturday. So he's going to be you know striving uh, to to prove himself there and obviously playing against a lot of guys that he knows really well. You know, Colonel Centennial guy. So some of the guys he's played with, Foreman and Drake Jackson. Homecoming for him. I thought it was interesting that you you said that that Corey and Drake will finally get a chance to hit him because you can't do that in practice, obviously. Obviously. So they'll be looking forward to the, to that potential, but also all those Bosco guys, all those modern day guys. Centennial, you know, usually plays those teams, so it, it, it he knows a bunch of these players that he's going to be playing against, and it's a homecoming for him. And after you know, he's kind of been away from the two year mm -hmm. mission. So I think he's got he definitely wants to prove himself in this game and you know seven thirty game I think that he's going to try to put on a show. What can USC do to slow down the the running attack to force him to be one dimensional? I, I think that'll play into how well he can perform as well. Mm -hmm. And he's a big boy. Yeah. USC has struggled to take down those big boys. Yeah, Grant Gannell is the first guy that comes to mind from Arizona, where they got several hits on him after he subbed in for Khalil Tate, but I think only like one or two sacks, um, even though they were there a bunch of times. And there was. Uh, Hunter Eccles had a great move off the edge and got to uh, Nick Starkle. Starkle's another pretty big guy and couldn't get him down. So that's going to be a key for those guys to see if those sack numbers can go up is you know actually getting the quarterback on the ground. I think they'll have a much better chance of getting there. McKee's probably going to hold the ball a little bit longer than Starkle did, six-year guy versus guy making his second appearance, basically. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, good news for USC on the injury front. It looked at one point of the week that they were going to be down multiple defensive linemen, but Jake Lichtenstein uh, did practice on Wednesday, and Todd Orlando basically was like, it's football, It's he's fine, he's fine. <laughs> um, and then uh, we talked to uh, Vic Soto about Nick Figueroa. He came out on of Saturday's game with the AC sprain, but Vic sounded very confident that Nick would play, and when kind of asked why, he said, well, he played all six games of 2020 with a torn labrum. So so it seems like Figueroa is a tough kid, and I think they want him back definitely just because he's a leader both on and off the field. Uh, but what are you expecting from that line now that, I mean, they have a healthier amount of people compared to last Saturday? I just want to ask specifically about the nose tackle spot. I know that was a uh, an area that people were concerned about just because they don't have a traditional big body guy in there with, you know, like the tongue and terror. Uh, Stanley. Tavu? Yeah. I just wanted your impressions of that spot and how that they played. Stanley had, when he was in the game, the defense was at its best. Um, now, 
that's yards per play. One big play can stretch that and change that, but I, I think that's notable for sure. And the only two players that were within a yard of him was like 3.6 yards is what the defense gave up when he was in the game, and they got both the interceptions when he was in the game, or at least the Greg Johnson one, maybe not the Drake Jackson one. But um, Drake Jackson and Corey Foreman, the only two other guys that were in that range uh, below, I think, 4.7. Um, so, you know, the only ones within a yard of him – so I thought he played pretty well. Now, did he make a bunch of impact plays? No, but he didn't give up a bunch of plays either. He wasn't getting moved out of the way, and, oh, there's a big gaping hole in the middle. And that's, that's, what your you're, job. that's what you're worried about with an undersized nose tackle is that, hey, they can double-team him, they clear him out real quick, and then the, one of the offensive linemen can then get to the next level, and you know it's a combo block to the second level, and they get a good block on the linebacker. It opens up a big hole. That wasn't the case. Now it's going to be a much different challenge with Stanford. Stanford's known for their offense linemen. You know, they're known for bringing in those big sets with extra tight ends or even extra offense linemen. So I think that it's going to be a challenge for that defensive line. But I liked what I saw from Jacob Lichtenstein. I thought Stanley had a pretty good game. Um, and we'll see if Jamar Sakona continues to get more reps as well. But Corey Foreman and Drake Jackson, can they get more reps? Are they going to be healthy enough to, to get more reps after, you know, Corey was kind of limited as far as what they asked him to do. And then Drake obviously, you know, left with that, that thigh contusion. Mm -hmm. Well, shall we jump into questions? Any final thoughts about previewing the game? Maybe special teams it probably will be a boost if they can get a healthy Gary Bryant back there. What did you think of special team shotgun? It wasn't great. I mean, Parker Lewis made his three field goals. That's the most important thing. Um, but, you know, not catching the punt, and maybe the sun was in his eyes or something with Katie Nixon, but that cost him a bunch, and that led to you know a sequence that put San Jose State in a great position to at least get on the board, and they missed a field goal. But um, you, you know, I, I thought special teams more to be desired, but not bad. Okay, okay for a first game, I'll put it that way. The, the three field goals is the most important thing, and you want to see that continue to build for Parker Lewis. He can continue to build his confidence after, you know, struggling a little bit during the fall. Mm -hmm. I'm just really excited to see potentially Gary back there fielding punts because he is electric with the ball in his hands. And when I asked him about it, he his face lit up. He's like, I want the ball. I want to be a playmaker. <laughs> I want that punt return job. So I'm excited to see, you know, if they first first punt, he's thrown out there. Well, we actually have a question jumping into questions now okay, from Jasper okay. Smith who said, will Gary Bryan Jr. be ready this week? Chris, I know you and I were surprised because we didn't really see him for the last couple of weeks. And Clay Helton did say he got some work in Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Tuesday, he went on a touchdown streak during the one-on-one -on -one period. He looked like he was ready and happy to be back. Yeah, by my notes in the 1v1s, he won every rep and then he ended his day or that section with three consecutive touchdowns including one where he burned uh, a defensive back deep uh, before they moved into the, the red zone portion. So he was on one in that period. And I asked him, you know, were you trying to come out there and make a statement? Because it looked like that's what you're doing. But he's like, no, I don't want to make a statement. I just want to go out here and compete. Obviously, he hasn't gotten to compete uh, with his teammates in a long time since the first week of fall camp when he got sidelined with that hamstring. So he was just happy to be out there, you know, feel the energy, go up against guys, do stuff like that. And he looked great. I mean, uh, Helton said you didn't obviously with a guy who's coming off a hamstring all you want to do is not have any sort of little setback he practiced on Wednesday he looked good and then the 50 minutes that we saw so right now he's trending towards you know being a full participant this weekend and obviously he is a needed uh, asset for that wide receiver core so hopefully they can get him involved on Saturday mm -hmm. when you go into practice you ain't been there for a while and especially when you kind of lost your spot a little bit and you know you haven't at least solidified it you're like oh they're gonna feel me today they are going to feel me today. I'm going to make it known that I should be in this spot. 
And so I think that's what he did with that practice. Do we see the parallels of this situation? <laughs> we, you and I were both about to make this joke, but <laughs> do you shotgun, see... are you going to be like that on Tuesday? Are you going to make yourself known? I'm, I'm trying. I'm always trying. <laughs> nice. I see what's happening. Yes. Ulao <laughs> Lao said, shotgun, would you say that the wide receiver group as a whole was over under, excuse me, underwhelming on Saturday? No, I don't think Are I'd you say taking it's Drake, Drake London out of the you situation. Can. So, <laughs> as a group, I mean, Taj Washington, very nice touchdown catch. Drake London was a beast. So, no, that was, that was really the main, the only two wide receivers we saw. Was it underwhelming that we didn't see more rotation? I think that is a little underwhelming, but. Yeah. Uh, Marcus says, do you think the linebacker group can handle the physicality of Stanford? Good question. Uh, I think they're going to be put to the test, especially if Stanford continues what they've done in the past now the last couple of years they've done more spread stuff they've done more you know true passing attack style stuff rather than lining up their tight ends at you know out wide and then throwing it up to jj or sega white side or something like that um so i think that they're going to they're going to challenge those guys i think they see that as potentially as a weak link the middle of the defense just you know the nose tackle undersized Young guys or inexperienced guys on the defensive line for the most part, and then those linebackers. You know, they've got six, you know, Raylan Goforth has six games of experience from last year. Raymond Scott basically has one and a half game of experience. So, attacking those two guys and then Kanaya Malga when he's in there as well. So, I, I think this feels a little bit similar to Utah last year where Kanaya Malga can have a really big game and a really big impact, especially if he gets a big hit early to kind of set the tone. And that's the kind of thing that I think that he's going to be looking to do in this game. But I think they're going to try to challenge those linebackers in particular for sure. Jasper Smith said the offensive line has a seven-man rotation. Will there be an eighth guy in the mix eventually? I don't think so. Yeah, right now I don't really see. I mean, really, I feel like it's a six-man rotation right now. We'll see if Jalen McKenzie actually gets more reps. Coaches often say, oh, I really wanted to do this. But in the back of their head, they're like, nah, I couldn't do that. I'm not going to do that. Um, so we'll see if that actually was just uh, got caught up in the game and I wanted to get him in and it didn't happen. Um, but we'll see this week. He is a veteran guy, Jalen McKenzie, and I think he can continue to, to make some strides too. But those young guys are going to get that experience, and, and that's going to be really big for them. And I think you'll see them continue to progress as the season goes on, Monheim and Ford as well. Coley White has a question for both of you. A bigger surprise, how poor Stanford appeared or how formidable UCLA looked? Bigger surprise. Yes. I feel like LSU is getting a little too hyped up. Like oh. I, th I don't think they were as great as advertised. I mean, they were trash last year. Yeah, so uh, like I just don't. Want to, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> they have lots of athletes all over the field, but are they a good team? That that's a big question about LSU right now. And then, you know, making cat there was receivers had chance. They don't have the same receiving core they had two years ago. They had chances to make some big plays and couldn't come down with contested catches. Whereas the group two years ago made a ton of contested catches. Um, so I don't think LSU is great. And I picked UCLA to win that game during the summer, but we heard we heard you were very. I I think the bigger surprise is Stanford. You know, even like Kansas State is not a team that jumps out to me as like, oh, that's going to be a formidable Pac-12. I mean, a Big Twelve contender this year. Completed nine passes. <laughs> it, it was pretty, um, and so that was definitely a surprise. Now I thought going into it, you know, being that early game, it might look a little rough. The first game of the season. I didn't think it would look that bad. Yeah, I would, I would agree with the Stanford pick. I mean, they've got some high-profile dudes that they've stolen away in recruiting battles from USC, especially some really good offensive linemen. So 
I was expecting a little bit more out of that offense. Mm -hmm. Jerry says, who would you guys suggest get some more playing time or more time that we didn't see in the first game? Either side. Uh, yes. John Jackson. The third. The wide receivers, Jackson, yeah, that, that stands Ford. out to me. Uh, Kyle Ford just not getting in at all was, as I said, that was shocking to me. On the defensive side, you know, it's going to be hard to do this, but John Davis, I think he's a guy that's going to be a true playmaker. And the couple of times he was in, nice coverage on a pass play out in the flats. I think it was a wheel route. Don't remember off the top of my head, but towards the end of the game, could have been a potential touchdown. You would have looked at him like, ah, it's a freshman linebacker. But no, he makes the play. Xavier Alford made a nice tackle at the very end on the one-yard line after giving up a catch to, you know, keep them out of the end zone. So maybe in de this depends on the game plan. Depends on how many safeties they want to put on the field, how many big bodies they want to put on the field. Chris Thompson and Xavier Alford, I would like to see them get a little bit more. If they can get rotated in for a series or two a game, I think that only helps them because, you know, Greg Johnson, Chase Williams, and Isaiah Polamau could be gone next year. Isaiah Polamau will be gone. The other two, I think they have another year of eligibility, but that's going to be something that's interesting. I've looked at this because I keep writing fifth-year juniors on this because guys have another year of eligibility right. because of the COVID. But how many of those people are going to come back, want to come back? Is USC going to want to come back? Yeah. There's several linemen on there that they, they could say, thanks for your time. It's time for you to move on. Um, so how are they going to attack that? And that's going to be an, a curious thing going forward. But I think it's important to get those younger safeties some opportunities just because they're going to be thrown in the mix. There's going to be some injuries this year at some point or COVID like uh, Isaiah Paul-Mau. So I think it would be good to get them a couple snaps as well. Normally I would have said – the backup cornerbacks, Shannon Williams and Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson, but they played a lot and they yeah. played really well. Yeah, Stole I was surprised by John Jackson. Um, excuse me, Josh Jackson, because we didn't see him in camp for the last like two weeks, and then he was just out there, ready to go. Yeah, it looked like a. I believe it was in a uh, punt return drill, or he looked like he took a really bad hit. Mm. Looked bad yeah. for a second. You know, it's never good when you have guys, you know, doing prayers, uh, go down on their knee. But you know, he walked off with a little bit of limp, and then we didn't see him for a couple weeks, but. He was back out there, so and then comes out and balls out in the opener. Should have yep. had a pick. Yeah, should have I mean, had a pick. Kind of, it looked like it. I don't know. I, upon looking at the replay, I think it hit the ground. I don't. I can't fully tell from my footage. He the, had it in his arm. They should have at least looked at it. Exactly. Yes. The fact that we're at least looked debating at it. it says it should have been looked at. Yes. Uh, speaking of Rajon Davis, we actually got a question from Mark Watkins who said, "Will Rajon Davis's role in increase as the season goes on? He looks so much more fluid in space than any USC linebacker I can remember in a long time." I think if he continues to get the defense down and do everything they're kind of looking for. When they play a team like Washington State, then that's a that's a game that maybe instead of instead of using six safeties and using Talanoa as a linebacker, Rajon's a guy you can rely on. Mm -hmm. Now that's going to be a challenging thing to put on a freshman, but if they feel like he has the defense down, that's the type of guy that you could put there to do that. Well, I think what's been interesting is whenever like reporters ask Todd Orlando about Corey Foreman. Orlando is sure to add Rajon Davis into that grouping. He's like, not only do we have to get Corey Foreman playing time, we need to get Rajon Davis playing time. And he was he kind of groups them in the same like guys who need to get playing time so we can have them be familiar with his defense so that they can be ready to go later in the season. Because he said around the sixth week is when the light kind of clicks on for those younger guys. And so he said it's imperative that they get them reps early on. So I just think it's interesting that they have identified uh, Rajon in that Corey Foreman special group, you know? Yes, Chris, this is when you say something. <laughs> yes, Keely. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry said, do you guys believe USC will do well against the run down the middle? 
I mean, that's the big question, I think. You know, that I think that's Stanford's been Stanford's identity for the last decade. Can that, you know, can USC stop them from doing that and force them to throw the ball more? I'm going to say yes just because I trust this defensive coaching staff to figure a way to get it done, even though they're a little bit undersized right there in that middle spot. But I trust them to figure it out, and I think they'll have another good performance. So I'm going to say yes. There you go. Steph says, why doesn't Dejan ben- Benton get more play? I was actually going to throw his name out there when you asked maybe uh, when you said more playing time, but it wasn't really a surprise for me. I think he should get a little bit more run. I don't know how much run he got on uh, on Saturday. I figured that he would when uh, get a little bit more just because Figueroa left at halftime. But, you know, he's not as big as those other guys, but he's quick. Mm-hmm. And he's always seems to be in the backfield. I mean, we watch multiple scrimmages where, oh, 79 in the backfield. Oh, 79 made a move there. So I think he's earned the opportunity to maybe get some time on the edge. You know, he's, like I said, he's quicker than some of those guys, not as heavy as those guys, but he, he does bring something uh, unique to the table there. This may not be his week. Sure. With what Stanford brings, but again, a Washington State type of team that's going to throw the ball a bunch and quickness is more important than strength necessarily in the pass rush because you need to get in the backfield quick because a lot of those quick throws. Um, but I thought he played well when he came in. Mm-hmm. Um, he got a couple of snaps in the third quarter. He played the entire you know um, final drive. He played a little bit in mi- mixed in there. I think he had, looking at my statue here, he had 15 total snaps, which I think is a good number for him. Now you take away the final drive and he had six or seven. And so if you can get him around 10 snaps a game, I think that's a positive for him because I think he'll continue to develop there too. And I think in pass rush situations, he could eventually be one of those guys that you put in on third and long. Now, and especially if Nick Figueroa, you know, if his shoulder's bothering him this week, you know, maybe you want to give him some time off. You think he's more important to stop in the run this game. Maybe Dejan Ben's a guy you throw in there at that position uh, because they move Nick Figueroa, Tuli Tupelotu. They move both of those guys inside when they go to their third down, third and long situations with Foreman and, and Drake Jackson on the outside. So maybe Dejan Ben's a guy. He's a guy that I think has potential. And he was kind of forgotten about last year. New coach staff came in and he kind of got pushed to the wayside. Him, Dorian Hewitt, a couple other guys that had looked like as true freshmen, hmm, maybe they'll, they'll work their way up and, and be guys by their second or third years. Uh, instead, they got kind of pushed away. Now you're seeing them build back up. And I think Dejan Benton's a guy that, especially with, with the injuries and stuff, the COVID issues that USC's had in the middle of their defensive line, he's been a guy that, that has continues to make plays. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him more. Facebook, don't worry. I'm reading your comments. We have not forgotten about you. Shouts to Kenny, who said, go stock neutral. That's right. Oh. Yeah, look at that. Uh, we had a question from James who said, did you feel underwhelmed by how the offense ran? Seemed to kind of sputter like last year. Keaton seemed slow on progressions and ended up underneath a lot or not? Question mark. What did Shotgun think seemed like all London? Your thoughts? It seemed a little bit like he was sticking. I don't, I don't know what you guys saw field level, how quickly, but I don't feel like he was throwing into tight coverage a ton. You know, a lot of times it was like, maybe I'll wait because I know Drake London is going to get open. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, sticking on a little bit, the, the sack that he took, the very first drive, he waited a little bit on London there. He could have gone to some other options a little bit quicker. Um, and I think that's just, again, that goes back to trust. He trusts Drake London so much more than anybody else, and why wouldn't you? Uh, so I, I think he's got to build that trust, which is, I think is why it's important to get some of those other receivers in the mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a question from Terrence. Who said, is Keenan Slovis the quarterback that can take USC at least to the Pac-12 title game? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't he already do that? 
That's a good point. Then there's my answer. Gary Leach says, glad Gary Bryant is back. Will we see more Kyle Ford this week? I mean, I defer to the people that were at practice. That's anyone's guess. <laughs> yes. I think we'll I think we'll see him. Will it be he catches a touchdown and goes off for five catches uh 70 yards something like that? I don't think so, but I think we'll see him. Augustine says how would you grade USC's offense after watching the first game? Grade the offense? Grade the offense. You're the grader. Nah, yeah, I am the grader. <laughs> Let me Shotgun, just talk about something. <laughs> talk about, like, I don't know, Keaton's arm placement for half an hour. Let me just think <laughs> of a grade right now. Let me just calculate a grade right now. It was inconsistent, and that continues okay. to be an issue. Um, not Keaton's arm. <laughs> the offense. I thought he was talking about Keaton's arm. I was like, oh, he's no. getting hot takey right the, now. The, the, the offense was inconsistent, and that continues to be the issue. Moving the ball really well between the 20s. Moving the ball inside the red zone. Different, different beast there. I mean, if they come away with three touchdowns instead of three field goals, you know, 42 to 7 looks a lot different. So I think that's a big thing. And they would have been up, you know, but 27 to, three, to 7 or something going into the fourth quarter. So I think that's a big thing is that the red zone attack is still struggling. They've got to get that figured out. I'm going to give it like a high C, C plus. Okay. Like a like, 79 like range. Kids drink? That's what I was wondering. Like fruit punch or orange? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I, I know you like high C. I don't even try to act. Yeah, it's don't. too sugary, though. It's just sugar and red food coloring. That's cool. And a little bit of water. <laughs> uh, we've gotten a lot of questions about this, so I will address it now. Hit us. Update on Brew McCoy. Basically, no update. He's still, he was cleared of criminal charges. The DA, the LA County DA, declined to charge him criminally. But USC is still doing its own investigation, and that, from what we've heard, has not been figured out yet. That has not reached a conclusion. So until that has been figured out, don't expect Brew McCoy to return to football activities. Now, Steph wanted to know, where is Solomon Tuliolapupu? Chris, that's kind of your watch, your beat. Please give the people an update. Solomon beat. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, the big development with uh, Solomon is that he has been a frequent uh, scout team defense MVP. We get front row seats on Tuesday to the scout team defense working with the scout team offense right under us. So we get to see Solomon the whole time. He is a very important part to that scout team defense. He is giving uh, that offense uh, the best look they can give. He's going 110 every play. Um, you know, it's great. Why'd you roll your eyes at me? <laughs> Sorry, because you keep watching the Cowboys. That was a quick, like, don't do that. But yes, continue. Just call me out on there. That's uh, what she does. I lost my train of thought. Look what you did. <laughs> I was going. Okay. Solomon has been playing on the scout team defense, and he's been doing really well. I mean, this is sort of like a good training ground for him, possibly to get onto the field, you know, maybe by the bye week, make sure everything's healthy with the foot and the knee and everything like that. But he's looked really good in scout, uh, scout team defense. That's where he is right now. I and Helton said that you know they're hoping that he can come and help his team you know a little bit later down the season they're still monitoring it taking it by his pace um but yeah that's the update Progre he's progressed to the scout team uh defense and he hasn't really done any team stuff so this is like the most he's done since that one spring practice like three years ago that everyone's eyes got really big and lit up um, right. has he practiced for a full week 
Yes. And yes. I'm allowed to talk to him about him. That's crazy. Uh, he, he did dress out on Saturday. He was dressed out for the game, which is a good sign, I think. Yeah. Which I believe is the first time he's ever dressed out. Yeah, it is. Um, and because there was a number of other guys that, you know, had small injuries that didn't dress out. You, you know, the fact that he did dress out. So that means in an emergency, he could have been available. Now, would he have been available for five plays or 50 plays or the entire game? We don't know any of that, but that means he would have been available, in my opinion. So I think that's a huge step forward for him, just to see him in pads with that jersey on when we haven't seen that in the past. So great to see. Hopefully he just continues to progress. And the fact that he's given him a great look on scout team, and he'll eventually, if he's the player that we think he can be, he will eventually get back to the form, and coaches will be like, that guy keeps making plays. Let's move him up to the other team and see what he does in actual team stuff and see what it does against you know the, the team offense, the USC offense, and then we'll see. Yeah. Guys, I kindly request that when you ask Keely questions, put the Cowboy score at the end so she has to read it. <laughs> it's like a teleprompter. She just reads whatever is on there so I can just I'm stay updated. Burgundy question mark? Yeah, just, just throw it in there. I just need to know. <laughs> we got a question from Mike on Facebook that says, do you think USC's defense will be one of the best in the Pac-12 this year? I mean, yes. Potential. I'm not going to go with one game because one game could just be, hey, you got a great game plan, really understood what the other team was trying to do. And there were times last year, like the UCLA game, where they got chewed up. So let's see potential. We'll see how they do this weekend, next week, where they get challenged in two different ways. Mm -hmm. Guy wanted to know, does Stanford have any speedy wide receivers, or will the DBs be able to play closer to the line of scrimmage? Yeah, Bryce Farrell from Oaks Christian, mm -hmm. who is a speedster, a track guy. small guy. Um, that's the first one that comes up off of mine. John Humphreys, the wide receiver from Corona Del Mar who we were enamored with, think, thought he was really good, and USC didn't go after him quite as hard as Stanford. Well, he's a Stanford legacy, so that was always going to be a, a hard one. his sister went to USC, too, so he had both True. of them. True. And to quote you at the elite camp, that's a bad white boy. Yeah. yeah. So he, he is a, a playmaker as well. Uh, makes a ton of contested catches, can go up over DBs. Not really um, a burner, though. Not a burner, though. Uh, so I think that they have more of their traditional style of receivers. Michael Wilson, who's from Chaminade. Notice all these are Southern California schools. They have come to Southern California and recruited the the skill players. So, But they're not necessarily the burner type outside of Farrell. He's the only one that I know of off the top of my head. Elijah Higgins is another big target for them, but it's similar to what they've had in the past with big-bodied wide receivers and tight ends and stuff where they can match them up one-on-one. -on -one. I think that's more of a concern with this this than, uh, than you know, getting be getting burned by their wide receivers. Their leading receiver last week, Bryson Tremaine. He's six foot four, so another big bodied guy. So, you know, it's going to be a test for, but USC is lucky and they have some physical big, big cornerbacks, Chris Steele, uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart. Obviously, he's six foot two. So, this is going to be a big physicality matchup. I thought Isaac Taylor Stewart played really well again. And that was, I'm glad because he's a guy that I pegged before the season as someone I thought could, could break out. So, good start for him. We saw the defensive backs right in front of us working on the fade route, defending yeah. the fade route in practice. The in infamous the, Stanford fade. In uh, comboing, comboing it, two guys going up together to, to kind of halt that. So that, and That's the thing. you got to play team defense there. You don't want 2012, 2011, the overtime games with Stanford, with Andrew Luck throwing a fade ball, I think Austin Hooper, over Trey Madden. 
You know, when Trey Mann was still a linebacker. Wow. So Throwback. You don't want that. You don't want that type of matchup. You don't want to get, get, let them get that mismatch out there. And even USC's linebackers, Raymond Scott could be in trouble there. He's good in, in space, but he's a smaller guy. Yeah. So that's something that is going to have to be team defense. You know, they're going to have to identify, oh, they've got this matchup. We need to, you know, move the safety over or whatever it may be. Uh, so I, I think that's that's something that maybe Stanford will try to ad- to attack is Raymond Scott with a fade ball if possible. They've done that several times with different linebackers or cornerbacks that are smaller in the past. So don't be surprised if that's somewhere they try to attack as well. Tommy Watkins wanted to know, do you feel that USC, excuse me, UCLA may be a threat to USC's chances in the Pac-12 South? Sure. But I also think Arizona State is, Utah is. They're deep in the South. Yeah. Yeah, for probably the first time, maybe ever since the Pac-12, the South is better than the North. I mean, the North was terrible last week. Yeah, not great. Montana, really, Washington? Come on, Huskies. That's 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 poo-poo. <laughs> um, we had a question about Kyle Ford. Asked, do you expect him to play against Stanford? I believe I already gave this prediction, but I, I thought I said... that was Gary Bryant. I thought it was Kyle Ford. It was Kyle Ford. Oh, my bad. Apologies. Different question. Um, Tyree wanted to know, will USC be able to run the ball effectively against Stanford? <laughs> what does that answer, Chris? I, I just don't. Like I said in the fall in fall camp, coming out of fall camp, I've been cautiously optimistic about the run game. Wasn't perfect on a, on Saturday, but I thought they did some good things. You know, there's improvement. It was improvement. This will be a big test against a physical uh, Stanford front, uh, which obviously they're that's going to be what carries them, I think, this year. The defense because the offense hasn't figured things out. So, I mean, cautiously, I think I think they'll have a good game. I think they'll have a similar uh, uh, performance that they did at San Jose State. Hoping that, you know, they're hoping that they're obviously finding the end zone on the ground a little bit more this time. They got two physical runners, Kianta Ingram and Vi Malapai. I think they're a good matchup for this this stamp, this type of Stanford defense. I mean, I believe Kansas State worked them on the ground. You said, what, nine completed passes for Kansas State? So And he had 132 rushing, their quarterback, so... Yeah, they got worked on the ground, so USC better be able to run the ball. We got a question from Mark who said, are Elijah Winston and Manito Tufono still on the team? Elijah Winston was on the sideline behind the coaches. Manito Tufono, I would defer to you guys since you've been in practice, but we still haven't seen him all He fall. has not been at practice. I believe Helton said early in fall camp that he's back home in Hawaii dealing with a personal matter mm-hmm. and that they hope to have him back. I mean, that hasn't happened yet, but he has not been with the team, not been practicing. And Elijah Winston... He looked like he was banged up early in fall camp, but he has steadily made progress and he's out there practicing, a full participant. So yeah. looks like he is available and, uh, you know, could see him on, you know, he could be on a special teams at some point. I, I don't know if he played uh, on Saturday. He did not. So, but he seems like a guy who can contribute on special teams down the line. We're almost at the top of the hour. So if you guys want to get your rapid fire questions in, please do so now. We have a question from Herman who says, is USC's offensive plays too predictable? It seems and appears that they don't run many crossing plays. I mean, there's crossing routes in there. You think back to the Colorado game where Michael Pittman, you know, had a big game against Colorado and the couple big plays on the final drive when they drove down at Colorado two years ago, that was on crossing routes. So it's a, that, that play that's in there is their mesh play. That's a staple 
play in this offense. Did they not run in a bunch against Fresno or against uh, San Jose State? Excuse me. Uh, then I think that was more game plan oriented than, than necessarily that it's not there. We had a question from uh, Leonard that said, "On your rewatch, did Corey Foreman look solid on film during the game? It looked like he was getting pressure." Yeah, he got some pressure. You know, he's quick with his hands. He knows how to swat away offensive linemen um, and, and be able to get by them. The hit he had on Starkle was from you know a nice um, sw- um, stunt that they had with Jacob Lichtenstein. I think you noted that Jacob Lichtenstein really held the edge really well in that play too. So I, I think that he's only going to get better and better and better. But yeah, from the there were times where you see young pass rushers and they just disappear. But you noted that he was out there. Not only that you were going, oh, there's zero. That's fun to look at. And that's different. But you're going, oh, there's zero in the backfield. And I think that that's something that you'll continue to see as long as he stays healthy. We always knew when Corey was in doing pass rush drills just because he's so fast. He's the fastest yeah. guy out there. So be on the lookout for that, that, that jump off the ball. Jerry wanted to know, do you guys believe USC was aggressive enough on Saturday? To me, it seemed like this defense wasn't blitzing enough, even though the secondary was great. Was Coach Orlando holding out this week? I'm sure he was holding out. Whether he was aggressive enough or not, they gave up seven points and they scored seven points. So I'm not going to say it was wrong about anything. Are you going with the uh, Ryan Abraham math and that they did not give up any points because it's a wash? You can go with that if you want. Oh, okay. Wow. I didn't expect, I expect you to say, no, no, no. <laughs> Defense should deserve more credit when they create points themselves. Yeah. yeah. Especially they, given the timing on Saturday. Basically, anytime a defense scores a touchdown, you're going to win. It's usually how it plays out. Interesting. Interesting. Interesting stats. It's like 85%. Okay. <laughs> Based on what? Like, what are you citing? <laughs> I don't know, I'm just off the top of my head. <laughs> okay. When defenses score, it just it completely changes the complexion because not only is that something your offense hasn't had to do, but you swung the game, and that's you see the separation. That's what Clay Hilton talked about, and that's what happened in that game. They had just scored right before that, and two plays later, you put seven more points on the board, so it goes from, oh, we can drive down and try to equal what they just did and try to keep, keep in this game to, holy crap, what just happened? Off the top of my head, I'm just trying to think of a loss of a defensive play. Any statisticians out there? Yeah, if anyone knows. <laughs> Prove shocking wrong, basically, is what we're asking. Steve wanted to know, do you think USC's offense has figured out how to counter zone defense a la BYU? I mean, since that BYU game, we've seen them would do different things. Now, it's tough when you get in the red zone and you're at the 10-yard line or so, and that's what you saw in that sack that Keaton Slovis took is that they dropped a bunch of guys, but that's just difficult in general because mm-hmm. there's a ton of defenders in a very small space. But Keaton Slovis has done a much better job since that BYU game of taking what the defense has given him, checking it down to the, the running back and let him pick up five, six, seven, eight yards, which if they get the ball to them quickly, they can do that. Um, but also – you know, attacking the middle and the zones there. And that and that was one of the things that Mike Jinks talked about during the during the early parts of fall camp is that they've got to be better pass protectors and being able to identify where rushers are coming from to block, but also to identify, okay, I don't need to be here and getting out quickly because then that takes that linebacker out with them, you know, it at least moves them out a little bit in their zone coverage to open up a window a little bit more for a tight end or for Drake London over the middle or whatever it may be. So I think they've done a much better job since that BYU game, but it is something that a lot of teams struggle with. That was something that was talked about. I watched the Ole Miss game um, and they talked about that ad nauseum with Matt Corral. 
that he really struggled last year against drop eight. Well, a lot of quarterbacks do because if you're throwing the ball, there's a lot less windows open for that. Mm-hmm. So you, that's why the running game is so important when you do that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the run game, George wanted to know, is USC going to have a 100-yard rusher this week? I mean, like you said, Kansas State put the work on Stanford's uh, run uh, ground defense. So Keontae was flirting with it. What do you have, like 80, 86 yards? 86, and then he had a like 12 or 14 yard run that was called back for the the holding penalty before the touchdown. So I I, I would lean with that, like a pre prediction. Let's go with 100 yards mm. for someone. You heard it there. Wow, we had a que- we had multiple questions prediction wise. A uh, SoCal Ant wanted to know will Keaton throw to more receivers against Stanford, and Stu wanted to know will London get the same amount of targets this week? Stanford will bait them and pick something if they do. So more receivers than he did on Saturday. So he just needs to hit one more receiver. So he needs three receivers. Yes. I will take that. Yeah, I'm going to take that one as well. <laughs> I will take that. Like a little Gary Bryant bubble screen or something. That's all I need. And then as far as targets, what, 16 on Saturday? I will say it will still be double digits, but I don't think it will be 16. So I'll go with the under on 16. One of the things they did against San Jose State was they threw a lot of those quick screen passes to, again, soften up their their defense, force them to get out to the edges, Mm -hmm. use their athleticism more. I think you may see something similar against Stanford to try to be able to create some running lanes inside because Stanford's going to want to try to take away the run. Um, So I think that he may get some more targets there too, but with Gary Bryant back, I think that takes away some of those targets because those screen targets because you want to get the ball in his hands. Drake London's difficult to tackle, and it takes three or four guys, and he carries them for a few more yards. Gary Bryant's difficult to tackle, and if he makes the right guy miss, he gone. He gone. Big T wanted to know, Chris, how do you you grade shotgun on his first day back from health and safety protocols? Ooh, like am I doing a PFF grade? Yeah, Uh, either one. Yeah, I'm giving him a firm 91. He has been. You're so biased. He is. (laughs) So biased. He's in that 90 range, you know. The tunnel is not over, so you know that game. That's a that's an evolving. <laughs> is this uh, like grade. the first grade on Sunday, and then Wednesday he'll drop? No, no, I think it's only going up. <laughs> okay. He's at a ninety-one right now. He's hit all his spots. He's dropping facts in there. <laughs> he he he's opened the lanes up for us. You know, he's sending it back. He's like, oh no, you guys were at practice, sir. He he's making the points. Okay. He's got a couple jokes in there. <laughs> sure, I, I got a firm ninety-one right I, now. I feel like a Eli- Elijah Vera Tucker last year for the Washington State game. It's been cooped up the entire time. Can't really do anything. They got me some exercise equipment. Solid references. He's just <laughs> doing solid references. Coley wanted to know, is USC expecting a larger crowd against a Pac-12 foe in Stanford? And what were your thoughts on the opening day crowd versus San Jose State? That's all you guys. I would expect a bigger crowd. You know, night yes. game, more tailgating opportunities. You know, you can... Tailgating back on campus, 25%. Nope. Capacity, have a little bit more fun going into the day, you know, a fuller, you know, college experience in that game. Obviously, there'll be more Stanford fans, I assume, get in here with this Pac-12 opener. Uh, I was a little disappointed by the home crowd, the, the turnout there, but I will say the student section showed out. Student section came out in full force. They brought the energy. Yeah, um, that was pretty impressive. It was a, a sold pack- out, I believe, for yeah. them. So yeah, disappointed overall crowd, but student section they came out. And I expect them to bring that same energy to a night game. The student section was actually noted by a couple of recruits that were at the game uh, as well about how how packed the student section was and how live they were before the game. Yeah, 
No, it, it was interesting to see. Joseph Smith wanted to know, Stanford is switching QBs for USC. Is he a better passer than West? Yes. Yes. I was big on Tanner out of high school, so. Did he run a ton at, at Corona Centennial? I know they, they use their quarterbacks a lot in, in run, but they also use two quarterback systems where they have a running quarterback and a throwing quarterback. I don't, I don't remember. The, I don't have the stats on that, but Corey did mention that while Tanner is a big dude, he knows how to run and he's not afraid to run over people. So I'm assuming <laughs> he's got some mobility. And it was interesting. He like compared him to Derrick Henry in the way he like knows how to use his body. That was the quote. So he's, he, he said he's not a guy that a QB that's going to go down. He's going to run over you. He's not going to slide. So interesting, interesting to see if, if that proves uh, the case. The Corey Foreman scouting ability. Right. Uh, Coley White want to know USC should be more wary of UCLA or Utah. Right now, I would say Utah just because they're... Really? I would say Utah just because they're first on yeah. the schedule. <laughs> you, gotta, you can worry about UCLA down the line. Yeah. <laughs> Get past Utah, and then you can worry about UCLA. Because really, so much can change by the end of the season. Because yeah, you know you lose your starting quarterback like USC did. What does If UCLA does that, what are they then without Dorian Thompson-Robinson? Can they continue to run the ball? Are they just completely one-dimensional? Uh, I don't really know their depth at quarterback. I thought coming in that they would be as good as DTR would carry them. Um, and if he is solid, they can be really dangerous because I was really high on Zach Charbonnet, and he's proven me right there again. So I appreciate that. Um, of course but, you do. Shotgun on UCLA <laughs> predictions. He's just uh, yeah. he's hitting go, them all. Go cross town, Shotgun. You're having better <laughs> success there. I mean, I can tell when they're trash and when they're not trash. And right now they're not trash. So, you know, <laughs> give, give them credit for that. They, they've got a lot of uh, experienced uh, defensive players, too. Um, uh, Lake in the background. I can't remember his first name. His Quentin. Dad, Quentin. His dad, Carnell, former NFL player from modern day. Very experienced guy. I think he picked off Slovis last year, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they've got some nice pieces in that back end, and they, they played pretty well there against LSU. So, um, LSU, I don't think, is a great barometer at this point. I think they're getting a ton of hype, which yeah. may be a little bit more than, than deserving, but you know, they're a team to watch out for. So I, like like we said earlier, the South is is really competitive this year. So USC's can't just cakewalk cake through like they have a couple years. First yeah. of all, Keely, don't do the don't play off. He's been cooped up. You let him talk. How dare you? How dare you? Okay, Chris, you're not welcome back. Uh, Marshall Thank wanted God. to know <laughs> why did Clay and company hold back plays against San Jose State? Nothing to hide against Stanford? Question mark. Because maybe they're not just hiding it from Stanford. Maybe they're hiding it from UCLA. You know, you don't break out your entire playbook in one game, and then teams can scout every single play that you have. You know, you're gradually adding plays as the season goes along. You do some different things based on what you're expecting from the other team and based on the matchups that you can get. If you see that the other team is going to guard Drake London with a five foot six guy, then you're going to change your play calling a little bit different than you know if they're double teaming him every single play with two guys you know at the line of scrimmage. It's just you know based on what you're going to see and what you expect to see. Adrian wanted to know: Is Keaton holding onto the ball too long and not making his reads fast enough, or is it the receivers and tight ends not just getting open on pass plays? You know what I think is interesting? Keaton Slovis was able to hold on to the ball longer this game. The offensive line, I thought, did a pretty good job giving him time. There, there was only that one play where uh, Keontae Ingram, where he got that blindside hit, which could have been a lot worse. Yeah, I thought the, the defender didn't hit him as bad as he could. He could have put his helmet basically right in his ribs. Um, but outside of that play, 
he pretty much had time most plays, at least a couple seconds. He threw the ball. He averaged 2.75 seconds per throw, um, his time to throw. That's a little bit longer. I think it was 2.38 last year uh, that I was looking at the stats. So, you know, a little bit extra time there. Every extra tenth of tenth of second, and that's only one game. So we'll see as it progresses. But um, I think that he was he he's always going to hold the ball a long time and give his receivers a chance. You know, even if he has to make a guy miss, like he did on that Malcolm Epps catch. You know, he made a guy miss, turned, spun, knew exactly where he was going to be, fired a, fired a nice pass there. So he's going to try to keep plays alive as much as possible. He doesn't throw the ball away sometimes to his own detriment. He doesn't throw the ball away as quickly as some other quarterbacks may. Steve on Twitter wanted to know what is a improvement that USC should make going forward. An improvement? Yes. Chris, what do you think? I'll let you go first this time. Darn. <laughs> I, I mean, we've talked about it. Just get more wide receivers involved. You don't have the trust outside of Mr. Drake London, so you you can't you can't expect that to just magically happen when you need it in a big moment, like at Notre Dame on the road or in a, in a, in a uh, battle for the PAC 12 South at UCLA, maybe at the end of the year, you can't wait for it to happen. Like for Michael Jackson to come up with a big third down catch, you need to develop that continuously throughout the season. So I think they need to get those guys, their feet wet, get some John Jackson plays some Michael Jackson plays, get man Jack comfortable, get him something easy so he can get that, you know, that first catch out of the way and, and build from there and just get the, get the trust build, all over the field for Keaton, so he's just not looking for 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 number fifteen all the time. And that's going to lead to some bad plays eventually. Um, you know, if he's if he trusts three other guys instead of just London, you know, that only makes the offense better. Yeah, and, and you know, Manjack's first target was in the end zone. You know, they were trying to throw to him a quick out um, that they ran the Taj Washington to the other side to create a one on one matchup, and probably was open, but the ball got bad at the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. So, but you don't have to throw to guys in the end zone for their first target. It doesn't have to be that way. I know Kyle yeah. Ford's first catch was a touchdown, his only catch. We all can't be Kyle Ford. But that doesn't have to be the case. Was Get that him Josh in there. Follow as well? At Wazoo? Maybe. That's a long time ago, though. So. He's been at USC for about 22 years, I believe. Wow. It feels like, at least. More um, than his age. <laughs> but, yeah, I think you can get more targets and get those young guys involved and, and give them a chance, whether it be a screen pass or whatever, and give them a chance to make somebody miss and feel a little confidence. But my improvement would be red zone efficiency. I yeah. mean, that's the biggest thing, I think, right now. The offense, the rhythm doesn't feel like it's there, and the biggest thing is because they're not finishing in the red zone. I mean, yeah. they're moving the ball. So, you know, they did have a couple of three and outs, I believe, or four and outs. Um, but for the most part, they moved the ball against San Jose State. They just didn't finish off those drives and turn it from a tight game to a blowout. Yep. A couple more questions, and then we'll get into predictions and wrap this one up. Gary Leach says, for Chris, Tampa Bay 28, Cowboys 26. Ooh. There you go, Chris. <laughs> Who was that? Uh, Gary Leach. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> Leonard says, I haven't been to a USC game since the Cotton Bowl in 2017 versus Ohio State. I now live in Utah. Which game should I go to this year that would be the most important slash fun? Looking like, I mean, Notre Dame or USC, rivalry games, right? Those are the two best teams from the first couple weeks, it looks like. That'd be my thought. Chris, think any other games stand out? Pac-12 Championship? I, I would I would have to agree that Notre Dame, you know, on the road. Mm. I've never been to a Notre Dame game on the road, so. It's fun. We're, we're working on that. Live vicariously through me. <laughs> oh, we had a question from Ulao Lao. Shotgun, what team is better, quality LSU or San Jose State? 
Um, I think San Jose State will win more games. Um, but I think LSU has more athletes. I think right now that that San Jose State team was coached better than the LSU team that played you know a few hours later. Big T also wanted your thoughts, Shotgun, on the Jay Morris hire by Enfield. He thinks it's a home run hire. Yeah, I think uh, Jay Morris, they, the USC brought in after Jay Hart left for the, the G League Ignite team. Uh, I'm talking basketball here, guys. So you need, you need to not plug here, your ears so. and understand. Look, when you got the world's best USC B- <laughs> basketball beat writer on Anyways, the stage, you use them. So Jay Morris is a the guy they, they brought up from San, uh, San Diego State, and he's a, a, a guy that knows the local area, is going to continue to recruit uh, the local area w- really well for USC. So I think it's a quality hire there. You know, was doing some good things down with the Aztecs, from uh, what I've been told from a couple people down there. So I think it was a solid hire right there. Congratulations to Capco getting bumped up to associate head coach. I'm sure that comes with a pay bump, which is always good. But I think it's notable that USC, they're bringing in a five-star wing this week. They brought in a five-star player last week, uh, five-star post um, on a recruiting visit. They've got some other ones lined up. So they're continuing. Uh, Jay Hart was a big part of their recruiting in the past half decade, past eight years since he's been with the infield. But – they're continuing that and not just you know falling backwards because they lost one assistant coach. So I think that's positive there. I'm going to be honest. When you said Big T, I thought the question was for me. I thought Big T was my new nickname. <laughs> it's not your new <laughs> nickname. Yeah, I just I realized that. I realized that. Definitely not. Oh, we got a question from A Dog's Life in Portland who said, any thoughts about Pellier Nayote's situation at Ohio State? Uh, it was ruled today, or Ryan Day said today, that uh, he – Pellier Nayote's waiver to play this season was denied by the NCAA. Maybe the first waiver denial in NCAA history? Well, this offseason, it feels like, after they allowed <laughs> the one-time trans. I don't know why it was denied. I think it's BS is what what I would say. Someone made a joke it was denied because they thought he was transferring to USC, not to Ohio State. <laughs> so that'll get fixed up. On So I don't remember who tweeted that. That was in my mentions. But shout out for your joke that I'm stealing. We got a question from Mark who said, Chris, for someone who's always repping Maryland, why are you a Cowboys fan? And how mad are you that they're making you do tunnel vision right now? Uh, I'm pretty upset. I'm not super upset. The game is on here. That's why I keep looking over here and Keely keeps shooting daggers at me. Uh, but my family is from Texas and they moved to Maryland before I was born. I was born in Maryland. So Texas roots for my family, San Antonio. So I'm a Spurs fan also. There you go. Uh, Aesop wanted to know, longtime listener, old school herder, first time here, why is Keely's head so much bigger than the boys? Well, if you're talking about just on the screen and not just in general, I was making that comment before they did. Uh, it's just because that's the setup of the, the... It's also in general. <laughs> that, that's why I made that comment. It's, it's just like a setup. A... People make fun of me because they, my friends are like, I click on and your head is like nine times bigger. So just how it is. Her camera's closer. Yes, it's like exactly. A, it's like a mascot head at a, <laughs> at a bowl game. Leonard wanted to know, are you allowed to tailgate at USC right now? Us or... I, I think mean... the people. <laughs> Yes. The people. The people. people. Not you, Chris. You're not allowed. I'm not the people. Um, Yes. uh, USC announced yesterday, two days ago, that uh, the tailgating will be open on campus, but it's only for people that have a reservation or someone that is going to someone else who has a reservation. So they're limiting it to around 25% is what they said. So if you don't have a reservation, try to get one. And if you can't get one, try to find somebody who has a reservation. (laughs) Be friends with somebody who has a reservation. Alrighty, last question, then we'll get to predictions. Also, please be sure to hit the like button. That helps us out. Steph Curry said, 
Have any of you been ratioed on Twitter? Steph Curry? Not the Steph Curry. Oh. Just Steph Curry. Have we ever been ratioed? Anytime I tweet a health and quote, pretty much I get ratioed. <laughs> so, yes. No, yeah, I don't think I've ever been ratioed for something like controversial I said. But more like for the uh, content of my tweet, did not people did not like it. Yeah. When I tweeted about Helton giving Carol Fult the game ball after a game, I forgot which game it was. Oh, yeah, that was a, yes, that was a that was a rough day. <laughs> Got a lot of interactions. Shotty? Keely just gets upset most of the time when when she's tagged in anything. She's like, "Why is there conversations going on? Why am I tagging this?" That's the thing. If people decide to argue with my handle still in it, it's like, guys, and your arguments are not the greatest. Like, at least make good arguments if you're going to wow. keep me intact. Yeah, so. Good arguments on Twitter? Mm. Mm. That's a great point. Great point. Some of them are. Shoddy? They're at least interesting. Um, I'm sure I have. I don't <laughs> nothing, tweet too much. Nothing to... pops into mind, but I've it been, just washes over him. I've been on Twitter since pretty much the beginning, so I'm sure since I have. The beginning of time. I've been Alrighty, on Twitter guys. for like twelve years, I think. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. He was there when the dark magic was formed. <laughs> Chris loves saying that line. Alrighty, guys. It is time for game predictions. I believe. The spread is 18 right now, 17.5. Mm -hmm. What are your predictions? How's this one going to go on Saturday? I'm sticking to my instant analysis pick Oh, uh, that they will cover. Okay. And it'll be a 35-10. I think the offense is a finds the end zone a little bit more this time. You know, Gary Bryan helps uh, maybe the offense be a little bit more consistent in terms of the passing game. Um and I think the defense has another really good showing. Uh, Tanner McKee going to get after a young quarterback making his first start on the road. So, uh, yeah, and I think Stanford will find the end zone at least once, uh, but not much more after that. So 35-10 is my pick for USC because you had to remind me on instant you're picking USC or Stanford because I did not give the answer. So <laughs> yeah. USC. There you go. Young Padawan. young Padawan. You could always change your pick and then you can't be wrong. <laughs> she put me on the spot. She said, which one are you doing? I know, but you did it. already picked once from instant analysis, so you could change. No, um, I think USC wins. I don't know what the spread is going to be. Uh, I'm very leery of any 18-point spreads uh, when it's a semi-rivalry game. You know, some people consider this a rival. Some people don't. Stanford's a weird game. Um, it's always a funky game. And as Keeley always calls it, it's the false barometer. It's the false. Yeah, thank you. Um, so... Even if they do blow them out, don't just go like, all right, USC's back. They're back. You know, it's not Texas. Like te yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if they, you know, if they win by 15 or 14, they win by two touchdowns, it's 28 to 14 or 31 to 17. Are you really going to be that upset they didn't cover the spread? I think USC fans would just be happy with the win. Here's the thing. Well, first of all, would USC have been fans happy. Not sure about that. Would they? Second of all, the thing that keeps popping into my mind is just how Stanford traditionally just controls the clock. Like, that's just what they do. And does this offense get even tenser if they know that they have less opportunities to score? Is that a thing? But does it help that their offense isn't good? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good point. Sorry, I was distracted by that comment. But yes. I, I, I don't know. I'm very indecisive, but I'm going to give USC the win and I'm not going to do a score. I mean, Stanford had 32 minutes of possession, 32 of the 60 minutes against Kansas State, even though they lost 24-7. They just they weren't very good in that game. And you wonder, is there just a big talent gap deficiency there? Yeah. 
Um, but can we ever really tell what Stanford is by their first game? I don't feel like we can't. Not necessarily, but I don't look at their roster and go, oh, that, that's a dude. That's a dude. That's a dude. You don't say that much like you have in the past, especially on their offensive line. You've always said that. I'm like, oh, that's – and I don't even feel like you can – like that. that's a true calling card of their offensive line. Like they got some good guys on there, but it just doesn't feel like a few years ago when they – they got like three of the top five offensive linemen in a recruiting class. That hasn't happened for them in the last couple of years. It doesn't feel like they haven't developed those guys into like that's you know the the Walker Littles of the world and whatnot. Oh, those are going to be first round picks when they get you know those are the type of guys coming out of high school that you looked at. It hasn't felt like that. It just doesn't feel like there's a ton of players. And even when they've had some dudes in the last couple of years, USC's been up to attack those guys. Paulson Adebo, they yeah. you know was was a guy that I think it was a third or fourth round pick. And USC attacked him over and over with Keaton Slovis, first game. So this is the second time that Slovis and Graham Harrell will play Stanford. So And Stanford tried to play them a man last time, and that did not work at all. Nope. So I'm curious to see if they're still as stubborn and they stick with something like that or if they try to wisen up. Um, so Stanford is normally a pretty stubborn coaching staff when it comes to things. How much changes from that first game? Hopefully they, they play better because that, that was hard to watch for some of the parts that I saw. Yeah. You will be on the sideline taking photos. This is – we're not live, right? <laughs> Chris, what are you if doing? If you see one, if you see him, I need a photo of Emmett Smith. Emmett Smith's son also is on the, on the Cardinal. There you go. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of Tunnel Vision. We'll be back on Sunday to recap the game. It'll be Shotgun – Ryan and I, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Shadi, we're glad to have you back. La- love that you're talking nonstop. <laughs> Great. We love the analysis. Good Great. to see you guys. Good stuff indeed. Alrighty, that's gonna wrap it up. That's Chris, that's Shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all on Sunday. Bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.